We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. On this episode, I speak with Amy Wister, co-founder of RevShop. RevShop is a platform that helps retailers and customers reduce the number of returns on clothing. They do this with their unique shape intelligence software that makes it easier to know ahead of time if something will fit. Amy and I talk about her journey from ski bum to MBA to Intel to Windows to fashion. It's a fascinating discussion about how our lives can take us to unexpected places doing unexpected things. The many forks in the road that her career has taken her on have been a source of inspiration as well as some great opportunities. We discuss the roadmap that she helped develop to to help stylists and their clients find the right clothing that fit their ideal body type and how that idea created RevShop. We talk about how to find the right co-founder for your company, especially if it's a technical co-founder. Talk about how hard it is to introduce a new concept into an established market where they really don't want to change, even if it's in their best interest. Her experience working retail at an early age gave her some great insights that she never knew she would use until later on. Ames' experience as a B2B customer also gave her the knowledge that your B2B customer might not be the same at every company. You'll also hear some household background noise in this one, since we're both working from home. So, apologize in advance for that. Now, let's get better together. Amy Wister, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. Yeah, well, I'm I'm actually 
um, had this experiment and and I was so happy that you decided to want to be interviewed. So you're part of Founders Network as well as I am. And uh, I, I gave the experiment that sort of the challenge for myself is that I want to interview all 194 members of the San Francisco chapter. And uh, I've done three so far. You're number four. <laughs> so uh, all right. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I know it's a challenging time right now. Uh, and I, I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing now, uh, Rev Shop, and what that's all about. But before we get there, could you uh, just give us a little background uh, how you came to do what you're doing? Sure. I um, I did something a little non-traditional as I exited college after graduating from college, and I I moved to a ski town to be a ski bum. Oh. And which one? Um, enjoyed enjoyed Jackson Hole, Wyoming, oh, wow. for Beautiful. a period of time. It was awesome. Having grown up at the beach, at that time in my life, it was obvious to me that if I was going to do something adventurous, that was probably the time to do it. Um, so I took the traditional path of college, and then took the non traditional route of ski bumming it, and um, eventually made my way back to graduate school and finished uh, my MBA, strangely enough, in finance. And right out of graduate school, landed a job with Intel Corporation in their IT department. (laughs) Oh, you're a fellow semiconductor (laughs) folk. I am a fellow semiconductor person. That is true. Wow, me too. I was a Cypress Semiconductor for a long time. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. All right, great. So- I really didn't have any intention to work in technology. Um, you know, I'm a girl from the Southeast of the United States, and I really thought I'd probably land in Florida, which is where my hometown is, or somewhere in Georgia, and I'd probably be working for a bank or Coca-Cola or GE. And, um, you know, making my way to Intel and to California at that time uh, was very fun and exciting. And I really didn't know what it had in store for me other than I was going to have this great experience with a fortune 50 company. And I did. And I learned um, a tremendous amount working at Intel that I then took with me into a career path in sales. Um, I worked for the third largest window company in the world. Uh, The name of that window company is Milgard. Milgard. Yes. I had Milgard windows on one of my houses. Okay. So that um, when I transitioned from Intel to Milgard, I kind of had this sense that I wanted to have my own company, but I didn't know what that company would be. But I knew I needed to have some more tools in my toolbox. And the main tool that I was seeking at that moment in time was, was sales. Um, so I hauled off and sold windows to regional dealers in Northern California. It was kind of a funny job. I I didn't really fit the job in a sense that, um, well, you know, now I'm in fashion, so you can imagine what I look like. So, okay, let's just go go the progression real quick. So we go college, ski bum, Intel, Windows, fashion. Fashion. Wow. That's almost as eclectic as my journey into PR, which we'll talk about later, but yeah. Wow. Cool. Yep. So that's how I got here. Um, along the way, it was great. I mean, I, I picked something up at every stop, which was very, which were skills that were going to be, as it turns out, pretty important to being an entrepreneur, like being 
persistent and persuasive and resilient and picking yourself up off the ground when you're pretty certain that you're buried in the ground, um, finding snorkels and flippers to just float at the edge of the, you know, the top of the water. So it was, it was good that I had those prior experiences. Absolutely. So fashion, Mm -hmm. um, what, what kind of fashion company did you form? Are you still at the company that you formed? I'm on number two right now. Number two. What was the first one? Yeah. So the first one was called the stylist online. Mm -hmm. It was a team of personal stylists across the country who all worked under the same body typing methodology with their customers in their own geographic region. And if anybody who's, you know, heard of Stacey London would recognize the name from what not to wear. Essentially. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've actually seen that show. (laughs) Okay. Um, Essentially, it was a company similar to What Not to Wear, but we were far nicer. So I developed a business in the box for these stylists um, to use in their geographic region, and I licensed it to them. And as a result of that company, I developed a roadmap for how women could shop by their body type. And Hmm. the roadmap, turned out to be incredibly useful to our 3000 face-to-face customers across the United States. And over time, our customer base, our client base asked us, you know, why can't we do this online? Why can't we use this methodology to go purchase something at Nordstrom or at Macy's or Kohl's and and my answer to that was, well, because I'm not an engineer. I mean, I know I worked at Intel and I worked <laughs> in IT, but I didn't pick up engineering there. I pick up contract negotiations. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so the first company, thankfully, the, the clients in the first company really gave us the idea for company number two, which was, why shouldn't we be able to do this? Why shouldn't we be able to shop by our body types online? So imagine as a female, and males too. I mean, you land on a website, let's just say it's Macy's website and you're looking for tops and you're served up like 6,000 tops to choose from. And like, where do you begin other than color and price? And maybe there's a brand or two that you like. Um, so the body typing system allows a, a, um, a user or a shopper to start with their figure and to then resort the feed of what's being shown to them on the website. So if it's tops, you know, they would, it would res, it resorts the top feed that our, our platform does now. Um, and it shows you the things that are best for you first. Hmm. So what, what do you mean by body type? Is it just like, are there standard body types or? So again, as a result of company number one, we discovered that there were six pretty standard body types and we even actually narrowed that down into three. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So we have a, uh, the soft, this current software at, that was built as a result of the second company rev shop, um, or I should say, you know, under the second company's name, the, um, system, if, if you think about, and women is our example right now. So you think about women, there's women who have very straight figures. There's women who are very full in their hip cages. 
there's women who have tummies. Um, there's women who have really broad shoulders or narrow shoulders. So we take all those elements of the body and we have um, built a roadmap by nature of company number one that identifies, okay, if you're, if you're a female and you're a little bit fuller in the hip cage, then chances are horizontal neckline is going to look best on you. So the current platform enables with API connectors, it, it enables the feet to be again, resorted based on that female's figure type. And the female jumps online and she might start stopping shopping at Macy's and Macy's may have deployed it. That's our hope. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Hint, hint um, Macy's or, if you're listening. Yeah. Hint, hint. Good idea. Now everyone's yeah. going online, like everyone's shopping online. Hint, hint. Exactly. <laughs> this is a great, and this is a great Perfect opportunity time. for yeah. us. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you land on Macy's or Nordstrom and let's say they've deployed it. Hint, hint. You should be deploying this. And the first thing the female does is um, because the, our first solution is female centric. Um, mm-hmm. The first thing the female does is she says, okay, I'm this body type. And we show her cute little images. There's six little images for her to choose from. And she chooses her best avatar, the one that looks most like her. And then boom, the feed is resorted. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important to the retailer because the there's a lot of friction in that purchase behavior. I can only imagine. I mean, I have a problem just picking out the bazillion things that I want to do. And, you know, I'm a tall white guy. My body type's sort of normal, right? Ugh, what a nightmare. I mean, I just get overloaded. So that's just me personally. I don't, a lot of selection just makes me mental. Uh, but I, I, it's funny that you bring this up because. I was doing some PR for a fashion brand that was trying mm-hmm. to do exactly this and it was uh, gender fluid fashion. Mm-hmm. And so they were trying to figure out uh, if let's say someone who den- identified as a male or transgender, what would be the best dress for them? Mm-hmm. And that there's no normal retail kind of strategy. It's just size and, you know, the size one at some place is different than the size one. I mean, that they taught me all this. And I just remember they were trying to come up with these body types, but body types that were gender neutral or gender fluid or are, there's a lot of those kind of pronouns and it's, it's a complex thing, right? Because right. depending on who you identify with and whatever. But it's interesting that you guys actually had this kind of sorted out already, or now you are sorting it out because yeah, the biggest challenge they had, and, and it was true for lots of people, you know, you, you look at like a piece of fashion on a model, right? <laughs> and the model's like the perfect size. I mean, if you're not that perfect size, who knows how it's going to fit. So, huh, this is right. really cool. Yeah. So that behavior of buying, purchasing online. And as you, as you said, um, the software that we've now designed um, is really the result of us building this body typing system with the first company. So had we not had that body typing system, had we not been in front of 3000 women seeing it in action, you know, in the, in the early days as we, in the early days we were testing it. We was like, we need a couple hundred women to see if this thing is really what we think is right is really right. And we had to make a couple tweaks to who, you know, what body type really wore what things successfully. Um, but again, because of that, we, we were able to build the software and I'm, I am certain that had we not had that experience with those 3000, um, 
you know, individuals in the beginning, I don't know that we would have been able to build the software because we don't currently collect information about why something didn't fit oh. that would relate to the oh. body type. So yes, right. When we do online like, returns, it's like closing the loop. Yeah. Yeah. It's like too big, too small, but we, it, it, or it was, it like fit, like it was my size. I could put it on my figure, but man, it looked totally looked terrible on me yeah. when I had it on. And why is that? And huh. so oftentimes humans don't even know why that is. Huh. Why? I just don't like this. I can't figure out why I don't like it, but I really don't like it. But it's my size. My body fits in it, <laughs> but I don't like it, <laughs> you know? Um, so there's the, there's the friction of just making the purchase online that we're tackling. And then that helps conversion. And then if we give these figure types, you know, if, if we lump women into these great categories, and we can do this with men too, then the the chances of them not returning the item is much higher. Oh yeah. 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 And then simultaneously, if we collect this data about the, the um, consumer, we can then look at the retailers merchandising assortment. So what does Macy's have on the shelf or what do they have in fulfillment inventory? And let's say, wow, it turns out 60% of the women that shop at Macy's happen to be pear shaped. And that's kind of interesting, but only, 25% of their product assortment could work for that figure type. Yep. No matter what that size they are. Yeah. Uh-huh. So there's that side of the merchandising um, house that we're also addressing. And again, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would build software. And frankly, I didn't build <laughs> software. I have an amazing business partner who's yeah. the platform architect. Right, right, right. Who is, you know, he's the he's the nuts and bolts behind it, but he's constantly saying to me, I just, you know, I dug it out of your head. That's what we're just harvesting what's in your head. Yeah. We're putting it into the software and it's just, oh, it's, a, it's an experience. That's great. I, I mean, I, it's just funny where you end up, right? Like who would have known getting out of being a ski bum that you'd end up as a software company, running a software company for fashion sizing. I mean, who knew? Right. Who knew, right? Right. Wow. And really we call it fashion fit. Fashion our, fit. Our, Right, because okay. the size doesn't really mean that it's going to be a successful fit. Uh, that, that's true. That's true. That's yeah. definitely true. So, uh, so cool. <laughs> Just I'm I'm blown away. <laughs> it's like because it's funny, you know. Because you know I do this PR and marketing stuff, which is a whole other story. But you know, working with that fashion brand was like eye opening. I mean, I am not a very fashion. Um, type person. Right. Uh, but so it's, uh, it was, it really super interesting to see like how that people think about that. So, um, yeah. what, what, what are some of the things that you, you have to do, uh, kind of on your daily routine to sort of, you know, move the business along? I mean, it's a software business, it's B2B sales. Um, I'm assuming it sounds like it, uh, what what are some of those things that you do every day to kind of move the ball forward? All right. So that's a great question. Um, we founded RevShop just over a year ago oh, and our job number one was, yeah. Yeah. Job number one was build the software. Mm-hmm. So we have been in build mode for the better part of a year. And, um, okay. And the, that, Build required, as you can imagine, a lot of iteration because <laughs> it's software is never that hasn't done. Been, 
I always like to say, you're a recompile away from perfection. You just don't know which recompile. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So um, the first, I mean, the better half of last year was was around build and iterating and testing and then go back to build and iterate and test again um, until we could get to our MVP. And we we did get to the MVP and now we're in this, um, we're in our pipeline, essentially. I mean, we have, we're seeking the innovators. We are seeking the innovation teams inside the retailers or the thread ups or the stitch fixes, you know, mm-hmm. even um, a place like Rent the Runway, right? Yeah. E- oh, yeah. eBay is another good example. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. So our main role right now is to continue to, um, tinker a little bit with our MVP as we show it to people and receive feedback, but really we're building the pipeline for our proof of value. I mean, we know the proof of concept because it happened in business. Number one, we know the concept works and it provides what's what it needs to, in order to be successful, the body typing part of it, but we need to prove now the value to the industry that this is because it's, we call it shape intelligence, the software and we go out, Okay, cool. so we go out and talk to retailers and we're like, so we have this product called Shape Intelligence and pretty much their, you know, their response is exactly right, right, right over, over the head. head. Yeah, yeah. Right over the head. It's like, what's Shape Intelligence? We we talk about um, AI and <laughs> virtual reality and you got a virtual dressing room and I'm like, no, 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 no. This is, our, this is uh, totally new. Shape. You shape, don't even know you need shape it. Shape AI blockchain buzzword mm-hmm. bingo. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, I hope that we've created a new buzzword. That would be really cool someday. Yeah. That's sudden. so hard to get people to change the status quo. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people are just used to what they're used to, you know, 80, yeah. mostly 80% of the people will just sort of meander along until something gets so much momentum that they have to pay attention to it. Exactly. Uh, so, so yeah, go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, so I was going to say, so we're in the pi- we're we're addressing the pipeline right now with our MVP. So it's all about who can we go talk to about the product, and um, we need to pressure test it. It needs to be on a complicated platform mm-hmm. where we can really blow holes in it before we go on to next build. Because we um, we both, myself and my uh, business partner, subscribe to the methodology that the end customer, the client, the retailer is really going to be the one that gives us the, the laundry list of features that they need and or want. Mm -hmm. And us just dreaming those up and thinking that we know them having neither one of us ever worked in retail seems a little bit outrageous. So we're, we're hoping this pipeline brings us that pressure test so that we can say, okay, it's, it's been tested. It's good to go. Like, we know what you guys want. Let's do this. Let's start shopping this way. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, so, so, so what, what are you doing to, so, so you don't have, I mean, well, let me back up. So first, not really ever been in the fashion industry other than the first startup, but don't really like, it's sort of your first kind of foray into into this sort of thing where you have to like go direct to B2B sales, which is always harder, right? It always takes forever. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things you've learned engaging with uh, B2B type folks? I mean, what are some of the things that you're like, God, I wish I would have known? And if you don't know any of those, then you know maybe we can talk a little bit more about that, some of the ones I've learned. But I'm just curious, like 
how that process works. Because um, Angie has a fashion startup as well. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And uh, hers is direct to consumer. It's a little bit different. But she had no experience with fashion either. She's just like, ah, just, you know, MBA, smart, you know, consultant, done a bunch of startups. Fashion, okay. <laughs> and I'm always curious, like, wow, all right. So you don't know anything about this. Like, how do you get up to speed? What What's sort of your process to get up to speed and then prove to people or prove, have credibility, you know? Right. Um, that's a great question. And I, I did, I did have a stint in fashion very early oh, on okay. in my life cycle. Um, I was 16 and I worked for the limited. Oh, Hey, that's my fiance worked for the limited too. Okay. So that was kind of my, um, supplement to the babysitting money back mm-hmm. then. Yep, yep. It was also a really nice way to be able to have a great wardrobe of clothes because yeah. I was working for a store that I really enjoyed. Um, I worked there for about three years and I, during that time, unbeknownst to me while it was happening, but later as I decide to launch the companies, um, I was learning a ton about body types. I didn't even realize it. Oh. And it, a body type would come through the door in this, you know, at the store. And I could say to myself, do not show her the pants on the left. I know they're not going to work for her because I've seen her body type, oh. right, of other people yeah. make that mistake over and over again. So I did have that little advantage. Um, and ha- just being exposed to the to the industry in general at the retail level was was probably important. Um, I, again, I didn't know at the time that it was important. You never know what experiences you're going to take no, with you. No, and no. And then another great thing that happened was at my job at Intel, I was the... Um, agent that con that that negotiated long-term service contracts for our huge software implementation systems. So like SAP, turning on SAP and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, so as a result, I was the customer of a B2B sale. Oh. So I sat on the other side of the sale. So I thankfully came into RevShop knowing one, a B2B sales cycle is long. Yeah. Um, two, it's not the same person or the same title in every company that you're dealing with. Um, for example, at, um, you know, at eBay, you're, you're trying to potentially get to somebody in the, uh, platform architecture arena that deals with merchandising that also has access to their internal incubator. So that's, one type over here at eBay. But then if you go and you're starting to build your pipeline of net, you know, uh, people that you may know at Nordstrom or yeah. people, your friends that, you know, that might know somebody at Nordstrom, you got to go dig around and you're like, okay, well, who is the person that I need to talk to at Nordstrom? Well, it turns out at Nordstrom, it's more of a marketing person yeah. that owns that revenue channel. That is the person you really need to be talking to. And the IT department gets involved like, like hey, later at on. The end. Yeah. Yeah. Once the business has said, Hey, yeah, this is cool. We want to, we want to give this a whirl. Um, so those two experiences gave me a lot of heads up. Now, what I'm still discovering is truly like, what are those titles? <laughs> That's hard because they're different yeah. at every, you know, and there's these magic titles, like, 
user innovation experience oh, officer, yeah. right? And you're like, what the hell is that? Don't get me what started. What is that? Like that <laughs> either. Yeah. So navigating that is is difficult. Um, but it's doable. I mean, thank goodness for LinkedIn. Oh, right. Yeah. You can totally. And then the other thing that I wasn't I was surprised to find out, um, and I'm very happy about this, is the amount of time that I spent in the other two careers building a network around me um, and building that network in person or on LinkedIn, being involved in things like the my local chamber, um, being involved at association level conferences that had to do with either the company that I was involved in or a nonprofit that I might've been volunteering for at the time. All of those people that I have created relationships with, including amazing people in the Founders Network, have become the pipeline to my contacts yeah. inside these retailers. Hmm. So I, and again, you know, as you're creating these relationships with people and you're, and you're, and you're offering reciprocity and authenticity, right? Just like the Founders Network encourages all, encourages us all to, um, like you, you just don't realize how that's going to pay you forward sometime in the future. So I've been incredibly blessed by um, having the ability to create relationships over many years that have enabled me to get to this pipeline, to get to these people with these weird titles. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, relationships, I think, are the most important thing to cultivate. In, in, I mean, in anything. I mean, we as humans need relationships. We thrive on it. We can't be alone. I mean, that's why, you know, we're recording this during the whole COVID pandemic and trying to figure out different ways to stay connected. And again, you know, one of the ways I'm trying to do that is I'm going to interview everyone in the San Francisco chapter. <laughs> right. Why not? Um, but I, I do think that those personal connections matter, even if they're not like they're like adjacent or sort of not in the realm. Um, you would be just it's always surprising me that the journey people have, you know, um, because they've got all sorts of experiences and what they do today was probably not how they started out. I, I know very few people other than maybe doctors or, you know, professors that like started out this and doing this. So in, no, you're, you're right. And I, I left, um, you know, I, I, when I first took the position with Intel corporation in my mind, I was planning to work for the Fortune 50 for five years. Mm -hmm. And then I was on my way back to my home state of Florida. And I was going to be, um, my, my, I thought I was going to be in business with my father who had an insurance company there that he had, um, taken over from his dad. Oh, wow. So I really, I, again, I had someone said to me, a year into Intel, like, Oh no, that's not what you're doing. In fact, you're going to make a, you're going to settle in California. <laughs> um, I would have said like, you guys are crazy. What are you talking about? Yeah. That's not going to happen. Was your dad disappointed? You didn't take over the family business? Not at all. Oh. And it was never, it was never a request of his. Um, okay. No, not at all. And, and he, he was, um, he was very excited for me, oh. honestly. That's and great. as, as my life, you know, and career transi transitions happened in California. He was super psyched and turns out to be the type of startup that I am at this point and to be so close to the Valley. Yeah. 
I mean, like really the storm couldn't have been more perfect yeah. where I landed. Yeah. Um, it's true. So that's it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. Hindsight. I, we, <laughs> we always see this stuff. We always see this stuff in hindsight. And I'm here. I'll, I'll tell you this. I mean, we can laugh about it. Um, towards the end of the stylist online, I was so headstrong about this has to be software. This has to be software. This has to be software and pounding down doors. Like I need money to build software. You know, I need money to build software. And finally somebody was like, do you really need money or do you just need the person? Yeah. And, and I changed my tune. Yeah. And then I started in with like, I need a person to build software. I need a person to build software. I need a person to build software. And this person arrived yeah. and they arrived through my network. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, we start like you, you you pointed out, we start these things that we, we think like, this is the path that I'm headed down. And then you find out somewhere in that pathway that like, whoa, there's a fork in the road. And that fork is telling you to go, go this direction, go this direction. And, you know, it was it, all of these forks for me have, have been um, at times they've been forks where I thought I was supposed to stop the road. And particularly with the stylist online, when I, you know, I kept coming up against this, like, I don't, I don't know how to build this thing. I don't know how to build this thing. And I thought I had a very transparent conversation with my husband at one point and said like, babe, we got to put a timeline on this. I can't just go being founder forever. Like it doesn't pay well. No, no, it's really bad pay. (laughs) It's not going to pay into college. I mean, you know, like we got to see a, we got to see something at the end of this. And we did, we put a time frame around it. And right before that time frame was to expire was when this engineer showed up in my life. And we started talking and trying to figure out kind of like, I don't know, do you call it like founder dating? I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, it's equivalent, I think. I mean, dating. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't, I mean, it's like any relationship or any friendship, you know, like when you're working with someone that the relationships are a little different just because there's like, you have to sort out how your work style and you you may work at one point, like you may work in the morning, they may work at night. I mean, they're a little different than a dating kind of partner thing, but I mean, it's the best analogy that I've, I've ever used. And the founder um, match or the founder, like getting along is, I mean, it's one of the things that if a company fails, it's usually they run out of money or the founders are fighting. I think that's like yeah. 70% of them. It's some ridiculous number. I mean, of course, money is always an issue, but taking money aside, one of the reasons mo- most of the time that the companies fail is that the founders just don't agree. They're like, nope, I want to go left. You want to go right. And they, everyone gets in the pissing match and it's just awful. And then and, it's done. You know, yeah. the egos just well up and it's awful. Well, and so I, again, you know, this engineer shows up and, and he, I was, um, I maybe trepidatious, trepidatious about it in the beginning because I thought like, man, I hope we're going to be able to work together. Cause I think I'm, I, I think I really like this person. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. And it took us a few months to, to make sure that we were on the same page. And then I finally asked, you know, it was like, okay, you want to get married now? <laughs> I finally asked, Here's the I ring. finally asked. I know here it is. And I'm the male, right. And this is my, this, I mean, I'm clearly I'm the female and this is my male counterpart. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, I felt like, like it was a proposal. Like yeah. I thought, Oh my God, this is what my husband felt like when he asked me to marry him. Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember sitting him down and just being like, so here's the deal. Like, I really think we could, yeah. we could forge forward 
but it's going to have to be a new company. And I only want to do it with you yeah. at this point. Yeah. I want to start it with you. I know that there are going to be lots of other people involved in it down the road. Um, you know, and, and thankfully he agreed. I mean, he was like, yeah, I'm kind of feeling the same way. And so, you know, there you Aww. go. You get married. Just warms you incorporate, your heart, you get married. Yeah. Right? Just warms yeah. your heart. Just warms I know. Your heart. Yeah. But he's, um, I, it's been a really good, um, experience That's so far. Wonderful. And, wonderful to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. So, so what, what are, so yeah, let's, so let's talk about this founder, like picking a founder because, uh, that's an important part. Um, just like mm-hmm. any relationship, like having them match. What were some of the things that you looked for? What, what were the things that you're like, okay, this is the person or this isn't the person. What was some of like the things that you tried or did to, to know that it was the right founder for you? Okay. Well, maybe I'll talk about the ones that weren't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's always, it's always good when you're talking about heuristics, right? Let's, let's go to the the bad and the good. We can start with the bad. That's fine. I always like to end on the positive. So I, there were a number of interviews prior to, to the, the one I finally married. Right. And, um, they, they were short lived, Mm -hmm. thankfully. Mm -hmm. And normally what would happen, the reoccurring situation for me was, the we'd meet at Starbucks or we'd meet on the phone and the person would start talking engineer talk at a level that I couldn't decode. It was like a whole, it was like just another language. And I would say, I would, uh, this question came up over and over again saying, could you bring that down to kindergarten terms and, and let me see if I could regurgitate it to you. Like, Mm. can I give it back to you? Mm. And then the and then the di- the dialogue would get even heavier on engineer talk. I'd be oh. like, "Well, that's it. I'm not going to be able to work with this person because I don't understand what they're saying." Interesting, right? I don't even get what they're saying. Yeah. And then so that was one candidate. That another candidate basically was all about everything that had done had been done wrong. And yeah. so, and I took that as. And, and nothing had been done yet. That was what I thought was so interesting. It was like, well, we're thinking about doing it like this. Well, I mean, these are all the reasons why that is a, is a really bad idea. And it was almost that scenario. And thankfully, again, because I worked at Milgard, where the, the first contractor that starts the job leaves the job. And then the next contractor comes in and all he does is bag on the first contractor. Yeah. Even though the first contractor did a great job. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. So anyhow. Yep. So then there was that personality type that I said, no, that's not, you can't just be a no, 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 no all the time and talk about. You can never speak ill of the dead is one of the guys that I used to, that used to work for me would say. Engineering is notorious for this because who knows when you're in the trench and you're trying to solve a problem, it's never going to be perfect. So then you, someone leaves, new, new person comes in, looks at the chaos mess whatever the, 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 this, this thing. And of course they would have done it differently. Everyone would have done it differently. Um, and he had a really good point. It's like, you don't know what they went through. You don't know the path they're on. You can never Monday morning quarterback that stuff. And you can never, you know, you should never speak ill of the dead because they got you where you are. I mean, you wouldn't be here unless someone did something right. And so I'm, yeah, I'm not a fan of that either. Exactly. Okay. So, so, and then, so then, you know, fast forward and I, I meet the, uh, my business partner now, and I can tell out of the gate, like, and this is every, everybody's going to have a different set of criteria. This right. was my criteria was I need to understand what you're saying. 
And I, the first conversation, I understood everything that he said, and he understood everything that I said. In fact, when I told him what the, um, what the hope was for the software, his response was, Oh, this could make my house so much happier when a stitch fix box arrives. Aww. And I said, yeah, you get it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, he goes, my wife and my daughter yeah. are so irritable after that box arrives and they don't get to keep anything that's in it because yeah. none of it yeah. worked for none them. It fits. Yeah. And then he's like, and I have to take that box to the UPS store. Yeah. So like, this is a double win for me. Um, so <laughs> right away, like, I know. So right away I felt these, you know, one, he could talk and then two, I could sense that he was compassionate. That was, that was important to me, which also made me feel like he wasn't going to talk about the dead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So meaning he was going to come at it from a perspective of, okay, I see that this path was taken and let's iterate and try this other direction and see how it goes. I also got the strong sense that this person was true to his word. So those three things were my highest level priority because, um, you know, I, I was part of a family business just by being in that family for years and years and years. My dad had a wonderful family member who was also his business partner. They worked really well together. They had disagreements, but they got through them. They, they didn't always want to take the same path, but they knew how to get to some place, even if it wasn't the place that one or the other wanted. Right. So I had a good role model, I think, to, to understand what I was looking for. Um, I think if I had to give anybody like sound advice, your gut is telling you right away, if you can work with this person or not, it's true. It just is. And that your gut is right. Yeah. No, I mean, the other, the other, the other piece of advice that I always give, uh, male founders Mm -hmm. is uh, listen to your wife. If you have a wife or your partner Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if, if they meet them and they're like, "Eh, I don't think so. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Because the one thing that your partner, at least in my case, my, my late wife, Jane, and, and, and now my fiance, the one thing that you can kind of almost guarantee is that they're looking out for your best interest and they will see the flat spot and the blind spot you don't have, especially if you're like an entrepreneur type person where you're like excited. Oh my God, this person technically da, 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 right? And I can't, I mean, every time I have not taken the advice of a partner, like a like my, my life partner, it's always gone wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and they've always yeah. been right. And it, it always like, but like, but the, but the reason I think it's so powerful is that the people that love you, that want to be with you forever, or as long as you can be together, they know you and they know your flat spots and they know what excites you and they know kind of what you're looking for. And, and generally they have their, your best interest at heart because your best interest is their best interest. Because if it's a bad founder and now you're stressed out, yeah, that's going to come home and no one wants that both ways. And I think, I think it's right. interesting that that perspective. So, so to, to recap the three things, it was being able to explain things simply. Yep. Having compassion mm-hmm. and then keeping, keeping your word or having like. Yeah. Trust. Trust. That, 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 there was a, there was a, a clear sense of trust. Like 
if I needed to have a very difficult conversation with this person, which I have, Mm -hmm. I trust. And he, he trusts that I'm coming from the right place. I trust that he's coming from the right place while we're having that conversation. Um, so there's that trust. And then there's also just fiscal legal trust, right? Do I, do I fiscally trust this person? Do I legally trust this person? And that's usually demonstrated in their, um, to me, that's usually demonstrated in their ability to have hard conversations and be gracious about a hard conversation. So that's kind of like, I don't know how you really interview for that other than go ahead and have a hard conversation. Well, yeah. (laughs) Ask hard questions, right? And see (laughs) if they respond in a polite manner. Um, And I don't mean like we're all supposed to get along and everybody's supposed to agree all the time. I mean, that that was whipped out of me at Intel, like at Intel. (laughs) Oh man, you disagree and commit every day. Cyprus was that way too. That Cyprus was, I mean, it's similar to Intel culture. I mean, semiconductor business culture is way, way different than a lot of other companies, primarily because you have a lot of smart people, very engineering focused, really hard stuff to do, numbers driven, personality wise. They don't have a lot of the warm, fuzzy, crunchy, you know, soft skills, you know? I right. mean, we would make jokes about soft skills all the time. That's how <laughs> I won't make the joke now, but it, it it was this pressure cooker of go, 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 go. Um, and so you learned that, that the problem was the problem. I mean, yep. you sometimes took it personally because it's like, God, they're yelling at me. My project's late. But in reality, once you understood that we're just trying to solve the problem and you got to work the problem, right? So if, if if we have a problem, try to just work the problem and don't make it personal. And of course, people make it personal. Of course, people, there's evil people in the world and they're, you know, in any big corporation, you got the ones that are the kingdom builders and the kiss ups and the kick downs and just, you could tell like they're the, they're yeah. the takers and they're trying to match the matchers right there. The ones that give a lot in big corporations tend to not accelerate as fast because people take advantage of them. And so you learn that, but yeah, I remember- I have stories about Cyprus. We could talk for hours and hours and hours about how that is. Some of it's in the the first book I wrote uh, called Frustration-Free Technical Management. Um, But it's just, (laughs) it's true. I mean, how do you, how do you, (laughs) yeah, how do you screen for tough conversation skills? Um, That's a tough one, I I think. But a a good one to try to figure out, because I think it's it's in the tough conversations that where the real work happens. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I, I do like those those three criteria. I mean, it, it, it's it that seems to be pretty grounded in in at least in my experience and the experience of other people. So, yeah. Well, I mean, Amy, th- this has just been such a great conversation. I I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the podcast. P- please stay safe. Keep us posted on uh, what you're doing. And uh, yeah, the, such a fascinating journey. Thank you. It was really fun to be here. And I, I agree. It's a great dialogue. And I'm thrilled that you have taken on this goal to um, talk to that wonderful population of folks from the Founders Network. I'm sure it's it's going to be a wonderful experience for you. Yeah. Thank you. And just Make sure you tell everyone to sign up. (laughs) You bet. You bet. All right. I'll talk to you later.
Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting thedailymba.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest that you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about in this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.